Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. In which he explains the experience of the apostles, this is what I said to you, that the Old Testament told you would happen. My death, my resurrection, and now this message going out to the world for the forgiveness of sins. He's not looking somewhere else. It's His Word. It's His eternal Word. A trustworthy and a certain Word. An outer light. This is what He presents to the apostles. And it forms the basis of the, the whole of their life that they'll now go and proclaim to the Jews and to the Gentiles. Even verse 46 when he begins to give some of the content of the essential message of the gospel, notice how he begins. Thus it is written here. He joins his own testimony to that of all the prophets of the Old Testament, so the Bible in unison presents one message of salvation through Christ. He summarizes it all in that way, as we'll see. And he honors it. He turns their attention to that outer light. It's possible, and it's true, that right now there are those who will come to think little, to think lightly of what is written in the Bible. Not going to open it, or if they do, they're totally set against it. It may be that today we're not going to see what we've seen in decades past of Thousands of people crowding into stadiums to hear someone like Billy Graham proclaim the Lord's death and His resurrection and repentance unto forgiveness. You might not going to see that right now in this moment. And we say, so what? As for us, as for us in our house, we will place our confidence and keep our confidence in the Word of the Lord. It doesn't matter if the gospel is not a popular thing anymore. It doesn't matter if there have been some who've misinterpreted parts of Christianity, have blended evangelicalism with some of their own interests, have turned the world off to it. It doesn't matter if the world itself naturally, apart from all of that, is hostily set against the Word of God and His truth. We're not the world. We are Christians. This is our book. This is our message. This is where we place our confidence above all other sources of knowledge above all other interests that we have. And you can apply that to everything. This book is sufficient for life and godliness. That is not to say that we can't find data, information that's very important from other sources. You can and you have to. But when it comes to filtering the data, making sense of the million voices you hear every week, many of them contradictory, we have to put in the difficult work of going to this text like the Bereans and carefully examining and filtering through this. We shouldn't look in our attitudes and beliefs identical to any segment of the population who are mainly unbelievers. Because they don't look to this. This sets us apart. The Word of God. And specifically, it is this summary of God's Word, what it all points to, that Jesus gives. Thus it is written. What is written? That the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. That message of the gospel. And what is the effect of that? What does that mean? He tells us. Verse 47. 
that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Because Christ died and on the third day was not dead anymore, because of that, there can be proclaimed repentance for or and the forgiveness of sins or trespasses against God himself. If that's a tired old message culturally, who cares? That is the message that Christ is excited about. That is the message that will set the apostles on fire. And that has been the abiding message of the church when she has been faithful because it's the message here in God's word. He says that it's going to be proclaimed, and even this was predicted, he says, in the Old Testament, that this message of salvation will be proclaimed, he says, in his name, the name of Christ. Which is one more reason that we continue to hold to the word of God, no matter what culture does. And I mean any part of unbelieving culture. It doesn't matter what they do. Because they may come and try to intimidate you away from the sufficiency and the power of the Word of God and call it too simplistic. But we proclaim that message in the name, meaning under the authority of Christ. He's the one who gave the commission. He is not troubled by them being set against him. He sits in the heavens and he laughs. He is exalted at the right hand of the throne of power. And he's the one who says, you go and you tell your coworkers, And you tell your neighbors. And you tell people online and offline, more importantly perhaps. And you go tell people that there is a repentance for the forgiveness of sins because of what Christ did 2,000 years ago. Notice too that it will be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Very important today, meaning Christianity is not a local, regional, or national religion. It is a universal belief. The gospel, he says, it begins from Jerusalem. It's historically grounded in the Messiah of the Jews coming out of the Old Testament. So it's not just some woo universalist kind of a thing. It's grounded, but it extends. And Luke wrote the book of Acts as a sequel to Luke. And that tells us that story. But it extends and is proclaimed to the nations. Today there can be a sense that, oh, you're committed to the Bible and its sufficiency and inerrancy. It's a perfect book. And oh, you believe in a person becoming a Christian, being saved and regenerated by trusting in Christ. That's because of the small locality and the time in which you live. That's your demographic or that's just this peculiar time. And that's why you think that way. But really the gospel is something else. No. You know who else thought that way? These men, 2,000 years ago, in the Middle East, in a very different culture, in whatever room this is, with Jesus. They're the ones talking about the scriptures. They're the ones talking about repentance unto forgiveness of sins. And here we are so long afterward on an entirely different continent and we're talking about the same thing. That is not to say that we Christians can be guilty of importing cultural stuff and trying to put it on the gospel. It's always been a plague of the church. It's always been a struggle. Everyone struggles with it. But when it comes to these essential things, no! 
God is not just a God of the hills and not a God of the plain, as the Philistines supposed. He's a God of the hills and the plains and all the nations. And with confidence, especially now, as evangelicalism is tried to put into a little bucket and thrown away. No! Christ and His gospel, on the basis of His enduring word, are solid and substantial, no matter what happens in any particular nation. This is a message beginning in Jerusalem and going to all the nations. You can read it right there. I'm not making it up. And what is it? He died. He rose. And now on that basis, repentance, turning from sin in faith to Christ, and your sins are forgiven. There's the gospel. We didn't invent that. It wasn't birthed in the Bible Belt in the last few centuries or something like that. That's right there in the Middle East from Jesus himself. This message of forgiveness through the work of Christ is the outer light, and there's not another one. Jesus wasn't ashamed of it. Paul wasn't ashamed of it, for it's the power of God for salvation to all who believe, and we are not ashamed of it. Devotion to the Scriptures and to personal forgiveness through its message. It's not just an odd feature of our place. At different times, different cultures may emphasize different parts of Scripture. And again, we say that's true. We're all different. That's fine. But this essential core teaching of Christianity we cannot lose. Because Jesus conveyed it even here to the apostles and said, it has been predicted from time immemorial that this message, this message will be proclaimed to the nations. And if Jesus says it will happen, if the scriptures of God say it will happen, it will happen. And may we be a part of that. You'll leave here and you will find yourself surrounded by 21st century Westerners, very different context than we find in our text here. You'll see them at work. You'll see them hopefully invited to your home. You'll see them at the store. You'll see them everywhere. And they are different in some ways than the people that these apostles would go out and proclaim the gospel to. But in many of the most important ways, they're exactly the same. In this ancient context, what? People felt their alienation from God. Even those who had never heard the word were given an inner sense that they're alienated from God. And how did they try to handle that? The sins that they had? They tried to handle it usually by the sacrifice of animals. To a 21st century Westerner, that seems a very strange way to handle a sense of guilt. But it didn't to them. But that same principle carries over. And you're going to live this whole week surrounded by unbelievers who have a, if God has been gracious to them in this, a sense of guilt, a sense that they have sins, a sense of alienation from God. And Romans 1 says they know there's a God and they know they've offended Him. They know that. There is that sense. And this is the only hope they have. It's a message that you carry. It's not outdated now, 2,000 years later. It's not, oh, non-transferable to a different context. It is what humanity has always needed to all the nations, including our nation right now, the people you interact with right now. It might manifest itself differently. They're not killing animals, but is there a sense of guilt? Is there the angst, especially in our context, of life being 
entirely unmeaningful in a vast, empty universe that's the product, perhaps, of nothing but evolutionary accidents. And you have this message to bring and say, no, God has created all and purposed all of history to point us to this one thing, that the guilt you feel is real and Christ has died, has been raised, so that if you turn from your sin to him in faith, you have what? It's there in the text. I'm now making it up. I'm now making it up. It's there in the text, in the Middle East, from Jesus. The forgiveness of sins can be had. This is the outer light. Jesus conveys it to them. He conveys it to us as well through them. But as I've already said, this outer light has really permeated our country in many ways, and we are grateful for that, but does that mean that everyone in our country is now a Christian? <laughs> no. No, it doesn't. Because the work of the Spirit to inspire this outer light, the Scriptures, is a great work, but that word, that light, doesn't reach us unless Christ does a work within us to receive it. We need more than just the outer light. We need what I'll call here an inner light. We need the work of the Spirit inwardly to receive that word. In this way, we are again no different than the apostles we are reading about right now. Even though they had the outer light of the Scriptures from their youth, even though they had three years with Jesus while He was with them, to hear His Word, forming the basis of the New Testament, they still didn't really understand. They didn't fully understand, we know, until verse 45 at least, because that's when they understand the Scriptures. Then He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures, namely, how they pointed to Him. You may be surprised to learn, or might not be, that a lot of the study of the Bible in scholarly context today, so in universities, scholarly study of the Bible, most all of it is done by unbelievers. These are men and women who give their entire life to studying the Bible more faithfully than you. <laughs> they devote themselves to know in depth the context, the historical context. They learn the languages to a point. They know the grammar. They try to determine the meaning. Their minds are full of the outer light of the Bible more than many of us will ever achieve. And they reject it all. And they're not believers. You may be surprised further to know that while a lot of what they think about the Bible is completely wrong, obviously, they also get many things right. How is this possible without an inner light, without the work of the Spirit within? Well, you've seen the same thing if you go out of the ivory tower of academia and just go to the street and go talk to someone. You've found many people who do not love Christ and do not know Christ, and it's clear, but they know the Bible. There are atheists who will scour the text of Scripture for ammunition to fire against Christians, and they come up with some true thoughts about what they read. The Bible's not written in some mysterious spiritual language that only true believers can understand. A lot of the content of the Bible can be read and understood by anyone, inner light or no. So what is the inner light we're talking about? What is this, then he opened their minds to understand? that you also need to truly understand the Bible. Well, the Bible itself tells us 
here from Paul in his letter to the Corinthians. He says that his gospel is veiled to unbelievers, covered with a sheet. And he says, even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. What is it that someone who is lost can't see in the Bible? The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. That is, they cannot see the glory of Christ. They can see the words. They can see the grammatical structure. They can see how idea follows idea. But the one thing they will never see, no matter how many pages of this they flip, is they will never see the glory of Christ without an inner work of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul says here. So it was for these apostles at first. There were many things about Christ that they did see. They knew he was a good person, even a prophet, a miracle worker sent from God. They didn't doubt these things. They could see his earthly glory, and many unbelievers see that about Jesus today. Many respect, say, the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus taught as a collection of good principles, even if they deny the glory of Christ. But... Even seeing the content of this outer light, without an inner light, there is always a veil. And that veil is blocking glory, the glory of Christ. The apostles did not see the heavenly glory of Christ. They didn't think that he was the one that all of history pointed to as dying as an atonement for sins, resurrecting in glory, sitting at the right hand of God forever, and bringing salvation to the ends of the earth. That's not what they thought of with Jesus. They saw earthly glory in Jerusalem, killing the Romans. Until he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And then they saw his glory. This event takes place not just for them, but in some sense for every believer. And Paul describes it in that same letter to the Corinthians like this. When one turns to the Lord in repentance, as our text says, the veil is removed. Then he says, God who said, let light shine out of darkness, let there be light, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of what? The glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Until the Spirit of God opens your mind to understand the Scriptures, to see in them the glory of Christ by the eyes of faith, there will always be a veil. You can understand content. That's fine. If you're a smart person, no problem. You will not see the glory of Christ. You cannot see the glory of Christ. You will go on wondering why there have been Christians in the history of the church and even today who are willing to die violent deaths for the sake of the testimony they bear to Christ's death and resurrection. You will think that's noble, maybe, and you will wonder about that. You will wonder why there are Christians today in comfortable environments who leave all the comfort that they have and travel across the sea to very dangerous and difficult environments where they may die to bring this message of Christ to people who have not heard it. You'll wonder about that. Why would you do that? 
Even if the gospel's true, why would you do that? And you will wonder why there are people around you in a Christian context who are set apart from the rest of persons because they're obsessed with the scriptures as if it's a living word that they live by. Why do they do that? Until Christ opens your mind to understand the scriptures, that is to see a glimpse of the glory of Christ in the scriptures. And they are not any more mere ink on a page, but your eyes are opened and this glory of Christ consumes the life. It's an inner light that we require. Just like the apostles, you cannot receive the word of God unless you have the outer light, the scriptures, and the inner light of his work in the heart. Therefore, family, believers, we cannot lose our confidence in this word and in its power. Where else will we go? These are the words of eternal life. Have you found them anywhere else? This is all we've got, even with the difficulties. That's it. There's nothing else. If some persons have misunderstood and misapplied this word throughout church history and today, then we don't throw the word away. We, like Bereans, go more carefully to the word. We don't allow our confidence in this word to wane or diminish in truth. Every day our neighbors are losing their reverence for the Bible. Many now attribute our message to sociology or some other factor and not to reality. That keeps happening. But for those who would tie the message of Christianity to our time and place, to something that has confused us or tricked us into thinking this is a universal truth when it's not, not to the Bible Belt or whatever, here's our passage. Here's the outer light. We didn't invent it. It wasn't birthed here. It's birthed here. And these people are not like us. They are very different. Different continent, different age, different culture, everything different. And that's their message based on their Old Testament leading to their gospel of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And if that's what you believe, that this is an inerrant word from God and that there is salvation for all who repent and believe through the death of Christ, then you believe not something different or new. You believe that. It's right there. You see it. You see it in the text. On the other hand, those who see misinterpretations of Christians and want to use that as an excuse to slander his holy word, they can remember that it's not just an outer light we have, but there's an inner light we have. Not even all who claim to be Christian are Christian. Many will misuse the word of God. And even we who believe are many times subject to ignorance or our own biases or difficulties or struggles. It's true. That should not be an excuse to slander the word of God. It's that we need more inner light to understand this unchanging word. We don't need a different word. We need to understand it more fully, apply it more completely. We are a desperate people and we are, according to this text, desperately dependent on the power of God if we are to see the light that is set before us even after we come to Christ. To see the glory of Christ and to value it above our own preferences and desires and therefore to apply it in ways that are right and that please Him. That is not human. 
That is not possible. It is a work of the Holy Spirit of God opening your eyes every day as you read or hear or meditate upon the scriptures to see in them anew the glory of Christ producing a passion in you that burns away all that is wrong, all that is ignorant and unclear and driving you to greater levels of obedience. God can, He does, and we pray He will open even our minds over and over to understand the Scriptures. Let's pray. Our Lord, our light, we look to you for guidance and for aid. None of us lives to himself. None of us dies to himself. If we live, we are yours. If we die, we are yours. So whether we live or die, we make this our ambition to be pleasing to you. Impossible deed unless we know what you want us to do. And therefore, you have given us the scriptures. Help us to pay very close attention to it. Lord, grant us the discernment to know when accretions have been added, when through confusion or ignorance, things have been placed over upon the gospel. Help us to know and to separate these out with all humility and confidence. Help us not to waver in the trust we bear toward this sufficient word, not to believe subtle arguments that would lead us in any way away from this word. Help us to test every attitude, everything we think of, Every day of our lives by this question, does it draw us to trust in and believe in and value and love the Word of God more? Or does it cause us to in any way denigrate or think less of or pay less attention to the living Word of the eternal God? And I pray every activity, every good work that we endeavor to do, which we do, everything we pour ourselves into, every news article we read, everything we think, that we would subject it all and violently, if need be, to this word. And no matter what, any segment of the culture or the world would wish for us to believe, to go along with, I pray you'd help us, Lord, carefully to navigate all things through the word of God, this outer light, as we're illumined to see in it the glory of your Son. It's in His name we pray. Amen. Amen.